Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Many of the conversations we have here are conversations that you might not feel comfortable having with your friends, discussing issues that you're embarrassed about or feel maybe unique to you. It's one of the things I'm most proud of, that we have a platform here where we can talk to the experts about issues affecting parents that are dogged by stigma, misconception, and as a result, are shrouded in secrecy. My guest this week is someone who spends a lot of time talking about vaginas. Megan Vickers is a pelvic obstetric and gynecological physiotherapist, lovingly referred to by her friends as the Fanny Physio. A mother to two girls, she spent her career supporting women whose bodies felt broken after pregnancy and the delivery of their babies, and then had to rehabilitate herself when she became a mother. She said... I have had postnatal depression twice and I know how our bodies feel has a huge impact on our emotional well-being because not only have I witnessed it but I've been through it myself. It is okay not to be okay and it is more than okay to be working on it. This is an ongoing journey for both body and mind. Megan, welcome to The Parenthood. Thank you for being a guest but also thank you for writing such a honest and important book about something that I just don't think is discussed in Thank you so much for that introduction. It's so nice to hear it out loud like that. You know, I I recognise it obviously instantly from the book, but having it read back is just really lovely. And yeah, Uh, sorry. (laughs) And so I'm just thinking, um, pelvic floor, you know, post-birth is something I think a lot of people find difficult to talk to, talk about. Do you think we've become a little bit better about talking about problems I mean I was just you know when I teach in the bump class I say please if you've had stitches or trauma to your perineum please ask someone to look at it I know it feels a bit weird taking your pants off and opening your legs but what you have to understand is that for a midwife or a women's health physio you know looking at your vagina is like me looking at my computer it's a thing that you do every day it's a thing that you go to your job expecting to do every day and no one is going to be offended if you're asked you know someone's opinion absolutely and the book really came around as a idea of kind of coffee table chats with my friends because so often it would be my friends who would come to me and go hey is this normal I'm not sure if I need to go and see anyone about this and you know it'd be at dinner parties evening drinks we'd have these long discussions and then friends of friends they'd ask me to talk to them and it just does open up the conversation you just need that kind of confidant and then there's actually a whole load of questions we have that we didn't really know we could ask Um, and there was always answers and support so there's knowing where to get that from. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, like one of the things that I really wanted to talk today, which you write a chapter about in your book, is um, pelvic organ prolapse. So um, I actually hadn't heard about it until well after I'd given birth. Um, But let's start off with what is it? What is it? So pelvic organ prolapse is um, a weakness in the supportive structure of the pelvic floor muscles. So often we hear of the pelvic floor as a a hammock. And if you imagine a hammock slung between two trees and then someone might sit in it, they might sit in it with their baby and that will strain the hammock and stretch the hammock and the hammock will naturally come down towards the ground. When you get out of the hammock, the hammock will go back up in most cases. If there's any injuries to that hammock, um, the amount of people that sit in that hammock, the amount of times that hammock sat in, all of those things can really strain the pelvic floor and stretch it. So its ability to support a pregnancy just on normal pelvic organs is weakened um, and things, in very simple terms, sit a bit lower to the ground. So that might mean the cervix and the womb sit lower in the vaginal space. It might mean that the back wall of the vagina behind which is the bowel, can push into the vaginal space, or the front wall in front of which is the bladder, that can push into the vaginal space. So instead of thinking of our vagina as like this open kind of tunnel, it's now impacted and um, been pushed into by the organs around it. So our supportive nature of that hammock is compromised. So it's kind of collapsed in very crude terms. Yeah, yeah. And often you'll hear women say... That really frightening, <laughs> frightening kind of uh, thought that I've just uh, presented here. Nice. I hear that so often because it is terrifying. And the thought of um, women often say to me, it feels like everything's falling out. I just want to kind of clutch myself and hold everything inside. Um, and it's quite a persistent feeling because we spend most of our time up against gravity. And so therefore, every time we're on our feet, we have that same sensation, which is why it's so impactful because um, it's there most of our day. And, wh- and so what are the symptoms? How would you know if you'd experienced a prolapse? This is the tricky thing because a lot of symptoms can indicate a prolapse. Um, so if we leak urine, that might be a result of prolapse because in order to stay continent, we first need the organs to be where they were before so that the pelvic floor can lift them up as well as a strong enough pelvic floor to kink the pipe where the weed comes down from and the pipe to be in a place where it can be kinked in the first place. So we might leak urine. We might feel constipated because there can be a pocket for the bowel um, where the stool might sit in. So instead of being able to empty our bowel completely, we might have that urge, but that difficulty to go because it's sitting in this little loop or prolapse. We might get the opposite um, because the bowel can engorge. So we might get desperate to go to the bathroom. We might have the very typical heaviness, dragging sensation, which is often um, indicative of pelvic organ prolapse or something even there at the vaginal opening or in the vaginal space that wasn't before, like a balloon or the sensation of a tampon falling out. Those sorts of things are often described. And when would you notice those symptoms? Could Could you experience a prolapse in pregnancy before your baby was delivered or is it more common to happen after your baby's been born? It's it's much more common and likely after vaginal deliveries. So um, with women who have given birth, the percentage is as high as 50% of women who've given vaginal delivery births um, will have a pelvic organ prolapse in their lifetime. So that's pretty huge. It is less likely after abdominal birth, just as the nature of the stretch of the hammock is um, you, By reduced. abdominal birth, you're talking about cesareans, Exactly, yes, exactly, yeah. 
Um, so sorry, it's less common after after having had a cesarean. Yes, because the strain and the trauma on the hammock is less likely. So whilst carrying a baby is a risk for pelvic organ prolapse, and again, if we imagine that person with a baby sitting in the hammock, it's going to put some strain on it, especially if they sit there for nine months. But then if they just get out, then that's great. If they're pulled out, so four sets of one twos, then there is more incidents. And equally, if um, babies are pushed out vaginally, then there's more incidents too. And is there other people that are at higher risk of prolapse? Is there anything that can make you at higher risk? The only really um, evidence-based things which make us higher risk are more pregnancies and increasing age. And that's just, again, the nature of the changes in the tissues. Different types of deliveries, so instrumental deliveries, do carry a higher incidence. Um, so that is something that's not, not necessarily we can prevent, but it means that we do need to be cautious and protect our bodies after those uh, more invasive deliveries. And I mean, obviously, perineal trauma is pretty common. Um, yeah. I know in your book, I think it's, is it up to 90% of women experience some kind of perineal trauma? And, you know, I'm, I'm before people get too worried, you know, much of that trauma is insignificant, heals Absolutely. really well. But some of it is more significant. If you've had, say, a third or a fourth degree tear, does that make it more likely that you will experience prolapse? Um, it or does... is there no correlation between the tearing and the perineal trauma as to what's happening you know, to the uterine wall? Yeah, well, the thing with a third and fourth degree tear is that um, you'll undergo pretty good repair immediately. So we need to bring those muscles and the walls back together. So it, it does give us that protection from pelvic organ prolapse in that sense. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, so does prolapse... Does it happen at the point of delivery or does it happen afterwards when we're up and about and again and sort of coping with gravity and inevitably doing way more than we should considering you've just had a baby? That's exactly it. So um, most women after vaginal birth won't notice any significant changes in terms of prolapse. It's often around the three, four week mark when inflammation is reduced and um, when bleeding has stopped and when women tend to be a little bit more active. So going for those walks they notice that things just don't feel quite right um, and often those walks go are increased quite quickly so we might be you know just at home looking after our baby to so suddenly we've gone for a long walk around the park or an, an outing to meet friends and show our baby off to family so it's a it's a dramatic or sudden increase in the volume of things that we're doing after which that is 
quite a significant time that women will say to me, it was then that I felt it. And it's been there. Because that's what happened to you, wasn't it? You, yeah, you went exactly for a walk. That. And, yeah. And did you immediately know that it was a, a prolapse? I, the, my first symptom was I was just incredibly aware of my vagina. I just can't, I couldn't really, I, I just knew I'd never felt this part of my body in this way before. You know, I'm walking along and I can feel some friction and this doesn't, you know, I've never been aware of this. And, you know, deep in my belly, my heart sunk. I thought, I think I know what this is. You know, I was already a pelvic floor physiotherapist at that point. Um, it never occurred to me that I might have a pelvic organ prolapse until that point. Um, but it was definitely what I was looking for when I got home from my walk and checked myself. And could you check yourself or did you actually need someone to confirm that? Yeah, it was quite tricky. So then after checking very panically, I needed someone to help me. You know, even as a women's health physiotherapist, I needed to be examined and I need someone to objectively tell me what was going on um, and give me a rehabilitation plan. So I went to a colleague of mine at the London Women's Centre and he confirmed that I did have a prolapse of my front and back wall. And just to kind of to give the background to that, Robin's birth, my first daughter, um, I, I gave birth to Robin with a von Tooze and an episiotomy. And so there had been quite a lot of trauma, um, which I went into that birth quite prepared from the point pain perspective. But I amazingly didn't prepare myself for the trauma. Um, and I feel I did push myself a bit too far too soon. And it's one of the motivations of kind of identifying plans and helping women to know um, that after birth, we do need to protect ourselves, we do need to stabilise and we do need to rehabilitate and we can't skip those stages. And so what is um, what is the solution for if you've got a pelvic organ prolapse? Um, could you think, oh, do you know what? I'm actually just going to take it really easy and might it get better on its own? Or do you need specific treatment? That's really interesting, actually, because I was looking at a study yesterday and the title of which was um, pelvic floor exercises compared to watching and waiting in the treatment of pelvic organ prolapse. Um, and I think we can probably all assume the, the findings. Um, There's something like over 50 percent improvement of symptoms in the treatment group compared to the non-treatment group. But if we come back from there a little bit and we think about um, what I call my postnatal mantra or really a mantra for rehabilitation of any injury, protect, stabilise, rehabilitate. We first have to protect ourselves from the things which may be causing us harm. So the things where we might feel symptomatic um, times where we might feel a little bit more heavy. What can we do to minimise that? Not forever, but just while we're healing, whilst we're rehabilitating it. Can we manage those things? Can we spread the activities out so they don't all come at once so we minimise the symptoms? Then can we look at stability? So with stability, that can be things like um, having a physiotherapist uh, ensure that our pelvis is really um, in a great position in order to support our pelvic floor. Our posture is as good as it can be. We can take nice full breaths into our rib cage so it doesn't all go down onto our pelvic floor. Um, and that any tummy muscle separation or laxity of the abdominal wall after having a baby is um, recovered so that our tummy supports our pelvic floor. So it's all of these supportive structures that we have in ourselves, but it could also mean braces, supports, belts and pessaries. So in any condition where there's too much movement, and a perfect example of that is a broken bone, we would put that broken bone in a cast and we would immobilise it and we would keep it still whilst, whilst the body does the healing. The cast doesn't do the healing, it just creates the environment, the stable environment in which our body can heal. Belts around the pelvis when it's moving too much or is painful, 
and pessaries, which are silicone devices, which we pop inside the vagina. And they basically act like another layer for the hammock, like another support on top of that fabric that's there. They can hold everything steady whilst we heal. Um, so that there isn't excessive movement. And then we do the rehabilitate. So then we do the pelvic floor exercises, a progressive pelvic floor exercise training program, which goes beyond what we already have. Because so often, right, we're taught to do pelvic floor exercises at the traffic lights and whilst we're feeding our baby or doing the washing up or anything like that. And that is a maintenance program that maintains what we already have. So if we're symptomatic, if we're worried that we might be um, developing a pelvic organ prolapse or any of the symptoms I explained before, like incontinence or urgency, then we need more strength than we've ever had before. Even if it's only for a couple of days a month where we might leak pre-period or um, when we're on a run, for example, we still need more strength to be able to cope with those things. So the rehab programme needs to match that. I see. And I mean, there are obviously a lot of women in the world that don't do anything about these symptoms. You know, our parents' generation were taught, well, you have a baby and you become incontinent. That's just part and parcel. And really, it's only in this generation of, of mothers that we've been taught that incontinence isn't OK, that you can seek help and that, you know, pelvic floor exercises you know, are as important as breathing. What happens, though, if you don't do anything about it with, you know, obviously there is a chance that potentially those symptoms might improve on their own? It's tricky because a lot of the time we hear or women I've seen have been told you have a pelvic organ prolapse, don't do exercise, don't do anything, don't wait there. So if we change our lifestyle, if we pull back from all those things we previously used to enjoy and engage with, like jumping on the trampoline with our children, running with our friends, then um, our symptoms are likely to improve. But what about our quality of life? So it really is a measure of what would I like to be able to achieve? What is achievable in, for me in terms of a rehabilitation programme and um, the time that I have to commit to that, how meaningful will that be for me and how life-changing in many ways will that be for me? Yeah. And is it always resolved with, you know, what you've talked about or does it sometimes need surgery? I mean, obviously, I know reading from your book, there's different degrees of, of pelvic organ prolapse. Is it always resolved by what you just talked about? It's not always resolved. Um, and again, that, that uh, research study I um, commented on earlier, they found around 50, 54% improvement in women with pelvic organ prolapse with pelvic floor exercises. And the, the, the range of women um, reporting pelvic floor prolapse, it also varies. And the thing is, I do feel it's quite underdiagnosed. So sometimes women start rehabilitating their prolapse when they are more severe. If they were picked up earlier, so grade ones and twos prolapses, which are very much contained within the vaginal wall, there is a much higher success rate. The more severe prolapses, ones which start to make their way to the vaginal entrance, and in much more severe cases outside of the body, those ones are surgical interventions. And just to be clear, they rarely happen. Um, premenopausal, they tend to be postmenopausal injuries and they would be more surgical management. So we want to try and get everyone before that point and rehabilitate to prevent that. And obviously we've been talking about prolapse in relation to pregnancy and labour. Is the menopause another 
risky time for this to happen? Could it be another kind of trigger for this to happen? Absolutely can. Um, and one indicator of that may be if we're symptomatic, might leak urine, feel heavy or uncomfortable just before our period when our hormone cha- levels change. Um, and the reason for this is the bladder, the smooth muscle of the urethra where the urine comes down and the pelvic floor all contain things called oestrogen receptors. So that means just by having oestrogen around in our body, that maintains a bit of tone in these muscles. So it's like a bonus, bonus way of creating tone and tension in those muscles. So therefore, if we lose that oestrogen, when oestrogen levels drop, so cyclically and also at menopause, there will be a natural change in the tension of those tissues. And so I talk about this kind of threshold. So if we truck along with this level strength, right, sitting at, at one straight line of threshold, But just before our period, when oestrogen levels drop, we drop below that threshold and we become symptomatic, we leak and we feel heavy. Then what we want to do is we want to get way above that threshold. We want to start with strength much, much higher so that when it naturally dips, because it will, we are still above the threshold of when we might become symptomatic. So then come perimenopause, menopause, when it is dipping, we're still above that symptom threshold. So build as much strength as we can, whilst we can, to to prevent that basically. And if you have symptoms either post pregnancy or in in as you kind of reach the menopause, who do you go to? Is it your GP or do you go straight to a, a women's health physio? You could take either option. A third option is a gynecologist as well. So um, most of the time I'd recommend a GP who is likely to do an examination and support you in understanding the injury if there's an injury there so they may be, it may be very reassuring to start there because it's the kind of the least impactful i guess you know often we know our gps and they can be the most reassuring people for us to visit and then they can recommend right next step is gynecologist or physiotherapist if you already have a relationship with a physiotherapist that is also then a great avenue to start first up um equally with a gynaecologist because then they can manage your treatment as well if there's anything else required like a pessary that is normally going to come from a gynaecologist so any of those options that feel available okay i mean i've always um when i teach the bump class i always recommend that at sort of around six weeks it's really worth going to see a women's health physio just to have a kind of full body mot i just feel that you know after growing and delivering a baby it is so worth doing. Your body has never been put under so much strain, but also you are never more under so much pressure to be physically okay. You know, Absolutely. having children is physical. They get bigger, they get mobile, they, you might well then have sibling, siblings for them, and then you've got to carry all their rubbish around. I mean, I find that as being a mother that can kind of race around the garden with them and run around the trampoline that's a big part of what it is to be a good mother so it's so worth investing in your physical health absolutely and I love seeing mothers who come and I'll sit down and I'll go okay we're going to go through um first what's brought you in to see me today and tell me as much as you need about that and then I'm going to ask you some questions related to that and sometimes women feel quite guilty and they go well um 
actually there's nothing wrong i just would like you to check me and tell me i'm okay and i feel brilliant let's be proactive about this let's make sure that you're okay and it's just such a nice assessment to do um because inevitably in the end we then can create with injury or without injury we can then create a postpartum rehabilitation program that is tailored and it's just what that mum needs and i see so much greater compliance when someone has a program to follow and not all of us will be able to see a women's health physiotherapist, which is one of the drivers to writing the book, to create a programme that people can you know, scribble in the book, create a plan, pull bits out of it that is just for you. Because we're all very, very different and we all need slightly different rehab programmes. Well, and also, you know, it enables people to have a conversation which is full of evidence base and yeah. accurate information and expertise rather than, you know, what usually happens when there's something that's shrouded in secrecy, which is a load of, you know, non-information. You know, I've heard of women being told to, you know, insert garlic into their vagina wow. postpart. you know, and, and this kind of information is out there. So it's, I think, so worth getting someone, getting advice from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Absolutely. And I think my, um, my greatest tool that I have in clinic is a handheld mirror. So it's a big square mirror with a long handle. And, um, I'll pass that to my client and I look at what I'm doing at any point and I talk them through their own anatomy where, you know, we don't feel foolish or silly not to know who, who's ever done that with us before. I take them around where a scar might be, how healthy it's looking. And there is always reassurance because we all just want to know we're OK, even if there's an injury. What's the grade of my injury? What's the plan to fix this? What are the bits which I am working really well on? Um, and feeling empowered to make the change so that, like you say, we we can jump on the trampoline we can do those things which are really meaningful to us well you're right but the problem is is that you know i remember in one of my pregnancies having terrible thrush and i looked at my vagina in a mirror and, and i realized i didn't really know what normal looked like because i'd never looked at it before because it's quite difficult to do without a mirror yeah. and yet it's such an important part of our body and so actually it's, it probably is really useful to sort of be shown what normal is yeah and that's another great time that i love seeing women i mean i love seeing this is, I'm really passionate, as you might be able to tell, about all of these phases of pregnancy and postnatal women. But when I see women who are pregnant, especially when they're kind of first moving into second trimester pregnant, the body hasn't changed hugely, to teach them then how to use their body, what it can do, all the bits and pieces before it changes. And then that becomes our baseline. So then after they've had a baby, the first time they're postnatal, they've never had a postnatal body before. They've got a reference. They can then look back and go, ah, oh, okay, I remember how this should feel. Let's start here and let's work back to getting back to there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um it feels it feels really unfair to me that women bear the kind of burden of producing future generations of humankind and yet when it comes to the injuries that might be sustained along the way we're sort of told that we can't really talk about them you know even what I find ridiculous is the fact this whole kind of taboo around menstruation and people have to hide their sanitary products and feel embarrassed about it it's such a sexist thing quite frankly yeah. I have such a problem with it and it's something that I really want to change and I've initiated that sort of conversation with my children that there should be no shame around menstruation yeah. and sanitary products and we have that really honest conversation but I feel really I feel really sorry for sort of pregnant women what can we do to change this I do not want my daughter to feel ashamed of having a prolapse or perineal trauma or you know be too worried about going to see you know bring flag up that maybe she's experienced incontinence 
pregnant or painful sex or whatever it is, vaginal dryness. What do, how can we change this? Well, I think um, you've highlighted straight away, like the first step is openness. Let's talk about these discussions. Um, my children see me do my pelvic floor exercises. In the book, I talk about um, instruments and devices. And I've got one that looks like a set of curling tongs. And it's like this spring-loaded device, which you pop inside and you work against to strengthen your pelvic floor. Um, and often I see them waving that around. And <laughs> And I talk to them about, you know, what it's for. And at the moment, you know, it's quite abstract for them. Um, but hopefully I, I do hope that if and when they need it, that means that they can talk to me and they can they can ask me about it. My nephew, actually, he's a he's a really avid reader. He loves reading. And he said, could I could I read your book? He's 11. And um I said, absolutely, why not? You know, a lot of it is probably not going to make a lot of sense right now, but it will. Um, our partners need to understand, our support network need to understand. It's not just something that we as women need to hide. Um, and I wanted to create something that we could be proud of. We leave on the coffee table, we can give us gifts. Healing ourselves is as important as those beautiful baby presents, if not more important. Um, the mom needs to be looked after and supported and that means discussing and asking and providing the tools that she needs yeah normalizing that conversation yeah. and i guess also giving them the language you know so often people are kind of embarrassed about using the word vagina and they call it something else that's kind of invented and you know and then that sort of is is then a barrier to kind of asking for help you know my fufu is hurting well where, where's your fufu um <laughs> whereas if you can tell your child you know if you just say what is hurting and talk about the different parts of their anatomy you know whereas the you know the all the different bits the labia talk about that because actually why should we be any more ashamed of talking about that part of our anatomy as our elbow or our nose yeah absolutely um and I, I remember one moment with my daughter I heard her with her friend in the bathroom and my daughter they were just talking and my daughter said Daisy and that's what we kind of in our house just generally refer to as um the vulva um and her friend said it's not a Daisy it's vagina and my daughter went no the vagina's the part on the inside actually <laughs> I was like, ah, okay, she's my daughter. <laughs> so it's okay to have, you know, with older generations and, you know, we can have another term as long as, like you say, we understand our anatomy, um, you know, and we can have those conversations and go, actually, yeah, it's my vulva or my labia or it's my bottom, my anus that's hurting or my vagina. We can describe and not feel embarrassed to talk about those things. Absolutely. Um, just quickly, uh, before uh, before we end, I wanted to talk about your view on sort of pelvic floor trainers. So um, I know that there are various devices that are um, supposedly there to sort of help you do your pelvic floor exercises. I know that a significant proportion of women find it difficult to do pelvic floor exercises. It's not like doing a bicep curl where you can look in the mirror and you can see your curl. Um, your pelvic floor exercises, you know, some people are like, yeah, I know I'm doing them. And some people are like, well, I, I'm actually not sure um how do you think they're useful the, the, i know that there's one called the lv and there's a few i think on the market pelvic floor trainers absolutely but the most important thing is knowing how and being taught our pelvic floor exercises now that doesn't mean we all have to go and have a women's health exam examination so if we are taught with good verbal cues 85 percent of us will be able to firsthand do a good pelvic floor contraction which is great so then whatever device we use we first do need to be able to be taught a pelvic floor contraction 
Do you want me to teach you one now? Yes. Yeah. Do. Okay. All right. So if we think about the pelvic floor, often when we do the pelvic floor exercises, we just do a squeeze, right? We clench. And they're just the muscles on the outside, right? They are just stopping the flow of urine, stopping us breaking wind. They're called sphincter muscles. But there's a whole body of muscles going on beyond that. So instead, we we're going to think of instead of just a squeeze, we're going to think of the pelvic floor as an elevator. So right now, the vaginal wall, the vaginal canal is an elevator. And that elevator is at the ground floor. It's at the entrance to the vagina. We're going to let the doors open. The doors are going to open sideways into our hips. So the elevator's at the ground floor. The doors are open. It's really important that we start rested because often we can carry tension, tone, stress in our pelvic floor and we're already contracted and tight. So let's make sure at the ground floor and the doors are open. We're not pushing it down. It's just rested and waiting for people to get on. Okay, now starting at the outside with those pinching muscles, we're going to squeeze the doors closed from side to side, shut the entrance to the vagina nice and calmly and slowly. Hold it here, then lift the elevator up to the first floor. Feel the lift inside your body moving up the vaginal canal. Pause, keep the door shut. Then lift up even further. Try and get right up like you're pulling that, vagi that vaginal elevator into your womb. Hold it with the door shut. Now lower it back down, lower it back down the levels, keep a hold, but lower it back down, lower it back down, get to ground floor and then open the doors. Let everybody off and completely relax. I like that idea of letting everyone off because <laughs> you do often sort of, I mean, listen, you're not letting anything out necessarily, but that idea of relaxing, because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you totally recognise that sort of as soon as you start talking about pelvic floor, I'm like, oh, yes, I must do them. I don't do them enough. I don't do them enough. So actually that kind of importance of sort of letting the relax happen as much as the uh, the sort of clenching is, is really important. Absolutely. And I love that elevator an analogy. Absolutely. As I was doing it, as you spoke, I was like, oh, yes, no, it's now lifting rather than just shutting. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to keep it shut and everything coming on. Yeah. And then coming back to your initial question, if you do that with a tool which feeds back and you can see it visually, how reassuring is that and motivating is that to see it on the screen? Um, so I think you mentioned the LV, which is a, a Bluetooth device. There's, there's some others which are very similar. And so if you like having the information on your phone, you like have visual feedback, that's really great. But then there's also some just mechanical, super cheap ones called pelvic floor educators. And they're quite funny looking, but they're like a little tampon, a silicone tampon with a long stick on the end. And you pop the tampon bit inside. And as you do your pelvic floor contraction, the wand waves. If you do it right, the wand waves down. If you do it incorrectly, the wand's not going to move or it's going to come up towards your face. So it's a very clear indicator of um, you're doing it right, you're doing it wrong, not much is happening. And it can be quite a convenient, cost-effective way of knowing, do I need more education? Do I need more support? Or do I just need to practice what I've got? I've got it. I just need to do a bit more of it. Well, amazing. Um, I didn't even know about pelvic floor educators. So that is fantastic to know. Um, Megan, thank you so much. It is so great to have this conversation. I think it's such an empowering thing to know that we can get stronger, as your, your book suggests. Um, so Stronger is the Honest Guide to Healing and Rebuilding After Pregnancy and Birth by Megan Vickers is published by Green Tree and it's available at all good bookshops now. It's a really great and 
engaging read. What I love is that it brings obviously the sort of science and the, the data into it, but it's also fleshed out with lots of sort of first-hand accounts of different people's experiences, including yours. And Megan, is you're a fantastic writer. Um, so I read it like a novel. I devoured it and I felt very... Um, empowered as a result of reading it so thank you so much for doing this that is just such a joy to hear that's that's exactly what i want i want to empower women we have the tools we just need a little handhold sometimes to the right direction absolutely absolutely well thank you megan and thank you all for downloading this episode of the parenthood you can subscribe rate and review us wherever you found this podcast in the meantime from megan and me thank you for listening and goodbye 